If we haven't met before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here at Restored Uptown. And I wanted to start with a quote that I read a while ago. Someone sharing something of their story of being in the church. And they said this, I was a Christian for 22 years, but instead of being a 22-year-old Christian, I was a one-year-old Christian 22 times. I just kept doing the same things over and over and over again. And I was the, like a dad with a pretty young kid, Hearing that, that's a nightmare to me. <laughs> like, I love August, she's so cute, but the thought of her being a baby for 22 years is horrifying. I know some of you have got much younger babies than I do. Bless you, that's really special. But at the same time, just the thought of August not growing up and maturing and developing would be rough. Like a few years of changing diapers, absolutely fine. If you're changing your 22-year-old's diaper, because he hasn't grown and learned to do that and take like, care of himself, that's awful. Or, I mean, I can put up with August crying and whining and moaning a little bit now. We'll get through that. It's going to be absolutely fine. But if she was 22 and was still selfish and couldn't take care of herself and just moaned and whined and cried whenever she wanted something, it would be a nightmare. It would be the absolute worst thing. And I don't want that for myself as a father. I don't want that for my daughter. And what one of the things we see in Scripture is that God doesn't want that for His church. The writers of Scripture are encouraging the people of the church not to live that out, to grow up, to mature, to develop into healthy, independent self-sufficiency in the church, interdependently with one another. And one of the things we see that is as we grow up and mature, actually a marker of maturity is that we are able to help others to grow up and mature too. And really that's a picture of the mission of the church. And now one of the realities is uh, a word like mature is not the sexiest adjective. I'm sure you think the same thing. Like you wouldn't want anyone, the first word that popped into their mind when they think of you to be mature. <laughs> that grand guy, that new guy to the church, he's pretty mature. And I think the reason is, is because it sounds like old. It's like a nice way of saying old. And my hair's getting a little bit gray. I'm getting a little bit of the crow's feet here in my eyes and all of that. I'm getting older. I'm approaching 37. But no one really wants to be called mature or old. We like to be young. We, we live in a culture that is obsessed with youth. And I know that because I watched a horror movie recently called Old. Have any of you guys seen that? <laughs> yeah, okay, Kimber's seen it. Anyone else in the room? Okay, okay, we've got like four of us. It's not great. Don't go and watch it at all. This is one of my I can't sleep, so I'm just going to watch a movie things. It's the new M. Night Shyamalan movie, who I think peaked with The Village, if any of you guys saw that. Got a few village fans in the room? Okay, there we go, yeah. After the village, okay, we've got some more agreement here. Old is terrible. This is the premise of the movie Old. A group of people go to the beach and get old really quickly. That's the horror movie. And I was thinking about it, and I was picturing the trailer. I don't know if any of you guys watched Pablo Francisco back in the day, like him doing those movie trailer things, but I was thinking, coming this summer, this summer's horror movie, people getting old fast. It's like a terrible thing. Like. Look out, Freddy Krueger, here comes aging. And that's what happens in this movie. People get old really, really fast. We hate aging. So when we speak about maturity or growing up or something like this, it's not something we get too excited about. And I know that because with my wife, Michelle, if we were going on a date and she was getting ready and we're going like, to do something fancy, like a really nice restaurant or something, and she gets ready and she comes out and I see her and I go, snoobs, which is what I'd call her, snoobs. I go, Snoobs, you look so mature. She would not be stoked about that at all. This would not be a good night for us. This would not be a good date night for us at all. So maturity isn't necessarily something we desire or get excited about, 
but it is a really healthy and good thing. I think for myself, I'm 36 now. So like preparing for today, thinking about what maturity is, it's a strange thing. How would you define what it means to be mature? And I'm thinking about myself. I'm like, okay, I've been married for over 10 years now, which I'm like, that blows my mind. Like, where did that decade go? I've got a two-year-old daughter. When did that happen? We've owned a house in Durban for over two years now. I'm like, well, I'm a homeowner. You know, all of these interesting markers in our story. I like mushrooms now, which I didn't as a kid. <laughs> I don't know about any of you. Like, I'm not magic mushrooms, okay? Take it easy. Just like a nice mushroom sauce on a steak, something like that is delicious. As a kid, I hated mushrooms. And I love a good glass of red wine. Like, red wine, any red wine fans in the room? What a treat. A little Shiraz, a little cabs have. But as we talk about maturity and we think about that, like, is that the marker we're going for? You know, is eating more mushrooms and enjoying red wine, is that the vision we've got for our lives and for being mature? And is that the vision we've got for the church? Or is it something else? Is it a little bit different? One definition of mature is to be fully developed or physically, oh, sorry, to be fully developed physically or full grown. And the idea of maturity is this process of growing and learning and developing in a positive way. So physically, we grow taller, we get stronger. Guys, we grow our beards out, all of that kind of thing. When we mature emotionally, we go through experiences in life which give us an opportunity to become wiser people, more empathetic, more thoughtful, more compassionate people. Maturity means that we grow and develop positively as individuals. Now, we're in a series on church membership right now called Renew. The graphic's up right over there. And really, Restored Uptown has looked at this over the last couple of years. You know, every now and then we look at these four markers of what it means to be mature, what it means to be a church member in a healthy way. And really, those have been gather, grow, give, and go. So that's what we've been working through in this series. So today, we're going to be looking at what it looks like for us to grow and become mature, healthy um, as a church and individually as disciples. So if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Otherwise, the verses will come up on the screen next to me. But here we've got Paul the Apostle, who is a lover of the church. He loves churches. He's involved in planning churches and helping and strengthening churches. And here, Paul writes about what a mature, healthy, growing, strong church looks like. So let's read it together. Ephesians 4 verse 11. And he himself, Jesus gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. I love that line. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him, the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. And I read that. It's one of my favorite passages in the scriptures because it just gives us this vision of what the church at its best can be, what a healthy church looks like, what a, a church that is growing and maturing looks like. And today, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, whether you've been in church for a long time or not, whether this is your home church, whether you're looking in, all of us have got an idea of what a church is and what a church should do. Whether that like ties up with the Bible or not, we've all got an idea, an opinion of what a church is and what it should do. 
But almost the challenge of Ephesians 4 and the message today is what does it look like for each of us individually to be the church? What does it look like for each of us to be a part, a brick in the wall, a part of this body of the church that God is building here in Uptown? Scott McKnight writes this about the church. He says, God's mission in this world is to create the church where God's will is lived out by all of God's people. And I love that. I think sometimes our vision of the church is we show up on Sundays. And that's a good thing. Andy spoke about that last week. Gathering is important. It's great to be together today. I felt pretty moved just chatting to different people and singing earlier. It's important to gather, but it's more than that. And it's more than just tithing or giving and serving and being well-behaved men and women. Being the church is more than that. Let me read it one more time. Scott McKnight says, God's mission in this world is to create the church where God's will is lived out by all of God's people. That's what we're talking about today. And there's this line in this passage in Ephesians 4, which has changed my life, I would say. It's gripped me as something of a vision for my life and my role as a pastor or an elder in the church. And it's something that I think about a lot is this vision for what my job description is. The CSB says this in verse 13, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. That's what we are doing together as the church, and that's what I'm trying to facilitate and help as a leader in this community. Our goal is Christ-likeness. It's to become more like Jesus, to grow to know Him and love Him and enjoy Him and serve Him and obey Him and understand His ways. It's to grow in revealing Him to others and helping others to know Him and enjoy Him and love Him and all of those things that I just said. That's what we're called to do. And Paul, who I said loves the church so much, he's writing to the church in Ephesus and what we've just read. He writes to the church in Galatia, in Galatians 4.19, and he says a similar thing. He says, my dear children, you see his love for the church, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth. Sometimes church realities are tough, but he says, until Christ is formed in you. That's what we're going for. Colossians 1, verse 28 to 29 says, we proclaim him, Jesus is our message warning and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And Paul says, I labor for this, striving, working hard with his strength, the empowering of the Holy Spirit that works powerfully in me. Growth, maturity, being formed more and more into the image of Jesus. That is our goal as a church. That's what God wants to do in this community. And then the ESV, the Bible translation I used to read, put it this way in verse 13. It's one of those things that got stuck in me. If you've grown up in the church reading different translations of the Bible, it's kind of tricky. You know, you read a translation, something just gets stuck in you. You move to a different translation. It's hard to like adjust and get used to it. But it says this in verse 13 in the ESV, that we would grow up into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's one of those lines, I hope that you're feeling this right now, that's one of those lines I would often just read through. Like, okay, got it, and carry on. But it's such a mouthful. <laughs> like, reading that through, you're like, okay, what is actually going on there? Measure, such a fullness, Christ. And you go through it. You actually need to slow down and meditate on that and break it up a little bit and think, okay, what is going on here? What is Paul trying to say about the church and what we're meant to be like? Because this is our goal to grow up in a certain type of way into a certain type of person, to to grow into becoming more and more like Jesus in every way and in every part of our lives. 
So let's take a moment just to break that up, shall we? The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Firstly, the measure. The little baby in the back making some cute noises. And as he grows up, it's going to be really interesting. In the Molina household, like for him, I don't know what you guys will do every year, but writing in a little baby book, this is what my parents did, how high Grant was. Little Grant, age one, this is how tall he is. Age two, three, four, as I could stand, you know, measuring me against the door. Okay, he's this high. Writing that down every year. That's what my folks did. Or maybe you guys had like a little door where actually those things were marked off with the age and your name and brothers and sisters. And every year you would track your growth. My folks didn't do that because I was so short. So there was not much change every year. But there's some tall people in this church, so maybe they did that. Or maybe... Um, you've been measured for a suit or a dress for a wedding or just actually you wanted to get something pretty bespoke made for you and you've gone to see the tailor and he's measured your height and width and depth for some of us and then for the guys the awkward inseam moment where they kind of get right up there and you have to cough and all of that and they measure you (laughs) to feel like what is the size of the suit what is this dress we want this to fit them perfectly so we need to get these measurements right for them right That's kind of what he's speaking about here. The church is the body of Christ. And for restored uptown, the question is, do we measure up to what it means to be the body of Jesus? If Jesus was to put us on as a suit, if we were literally his body, with him being the head, would we fit him properly? Would we look in proportion to him? Would it look kind of strange? That's what Paul is getting at here. The picture of the mature church is that more and more We are measuring up to all that it means to be the body of Jesus here in San Diego and beyond. A measure of the stature. Now that word stature is an interesting one because it can kind of mean height again and I've already made like the short jokes that I was going to make in the last point. But beyond just height, stature's also got to do with reputation. Your renown, like what you are known for. And this is an incredible thing. In Acts 11.26, the church that is based in Antioch is this community that the outsiders look at and they say, whoa, you guys are amazing. You are just like your Messiah and you are just like your message. So in Antioch, in that church, the outsiders, not the insiders, say, you guys are little Christs. You are just like Jesus. You are Christians, little Christs. The outsiders name the church Christians. They don't label themselves, which is amazing. Because if you think of today, one of the biggest accusations or critiques of the church is we're not like Jesus We're not like his message. You know, we we don't measure up to who he is and what he's all about. But in Antioch, they're looking in. They're like, whoa, you guys are just like your savior. You guys represent him so well. We're we're interested. We're intrigued by this. And that's what's going on here, that we would uh, measure up to the stature of Jesus. People would see Jesus in us, in our words, in our deeds, in our actions. Jesus was known for a bunch of things in the Bible. When I say that, like what Jesus was known for, what comes to mind to you? What comes to mind to you, I wrote down a bunch. Jesus was known for being a friend of sinners, for preaching the gospel and teaching the ways of God, for his obedience to his Father in heaven, for making disciples, for being full of grace and truth, for healing the sick and performing miracles, for offending Pharisees and self-righteous religious leaders, for caring for the marginalized and outsiders. And ultimately, he was known for laying down his life on the cross, a living sacrifice in our place, You know, he died for you and I, for us, and to reunite us to God because of his great love for us. Those are some of the things Jesus is known for. His sacrifice, most well, you know. Are we living up to the reputation of Jesus? And then lastly, the fullness, the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
You know when something is full to overflowing, nothing else can go in there. It's like me on Pizza Fridays, you know? I fill up on pizza, there's no more room, but I still try. You know, I'm not a quitter. <laughs> Thank you. I think I'm saying that because if we want to be full of Jesus, we need to be empty of everything else. There's a lot we need to pour out of our lives. There's not a lot we need to remove from our lives so that we can be full of Him. What is that for you? What needs to go so that you can be filled with Him? We don't just want to be like Him. We don't just want to be obeying Him. We don't just want to be following. We want to be filled with all the fullness of God. It's a promise of the Scriptures to us. And what we see here in Ephesians 4 is that the church is growing into this, the measure of the stature of the fullness of of Christ. It's so compelling and beautiful. In every way, we are growing up to be like Him and to know Him and to enjoy Him and be filled with Him so we can represent Him to San Diego and beyond. But with that in mind, what does this passage say? How does this passage show us to be this kind of church and to grow up to be these kinds of people? Well, it gives us two things. Firstly, it teaches us that Jesus, the head of the church, has given us these gifted leaders to help to equip us to become this kind of community. And secondly, it teaches us that every member is called to build up the church with their gifts too. So it's kind of like uh, top down and bottom up. I love that. Do you guys do self-sourcing like desserts here? Well, as, as a well-known baker, let me explain what I mean by that. <laughs> So many like translation issues here. A self-sourcing pudding would be something where you get all the ingredients together and then when it goes in the oven, it actually moistens itself. The sauce kind of works its way through. So when you cut into that delicious dessert, actually it's, it's cooked itself in its own chocolate goodness. So it's gooey and amazing. Okay, Kimber's into it, she knows. Hey, okay, no one's really feeling this illustration. What I want you to know, <laughs> there's a picture Okay, okay, Marielle's into it. There's a few people who are into that. What I'm trying to say, get that self-sourcing pudding out of here, okay? What I'm saying is that Jesus is at work in us so that we could be at work in each other so that there's like this building up of the church in love and in the way of Jesus. And the flow of this Ephesians 4 passage goes this way. We've got mentors that leads to ministry that leads to maturity. Three M's, easy to remember. Mentors that leads to ministry that leads to maturity. That's going, what's going on here in Ephesians 4. God gives us these leaders who come into the church and equip us all for ministry. I'm going to say the word all a bunch today, so I hope you hear that. That includes you. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are to be equipped through leaders by Jesus to do ministry in this community and beyond. And as we minister, and the Latin word for that is serve. To minister means to serve. I come from a context in Durban and in South Africa, when you say minister, it's spiritual. You know, it's supernatural. It doesn't necessarily mean what the original Bible authors meant. People think of these very significant, supernatural, intimidating, upfront things, when to minister in the original intent here means to serve, to love, to encourage, to build up, to bring what you've got, to bring who you are, to strengthen the church. So can we dumb that down for a bit? Minister means serve. Minister means be yourself. Minister means bring what you've got. And we see here, these mentors lead to ministry and then maturity. Maturity doesn't come first and then ministry. That's how a lot of people in the church think. It's like one day when I'm mature, when I grow up, then I'm going to serve in Uptown. I can't wait. It's going to be a good day. It's going to be great. But it's not, not yet. I'm new. I'm like, I've been in this for two years, three years. 
this is all new to me, but one day I really want to get stuck in. Maturity is actually formed in our lives and churches as we give ourselves to growing and loving and serving and encouraging others. So what that means is if you want ministering, if you want loving and serving and encouraging others, if you are just focused on yourself, you won't grow. You won't grow. That's what Ephesians 4 is saying here. Back to our baby illustration from the beginning. Our daughter August is two and a half now. She's still in diapers. She still needs everything from us. It's tiring, guys. I know we've got one kid, and there's people here with like four, and they're like, oh, Grant, give it a break. Like, we get it. You've got one kid. So easy. We're going to throw another one in the mix. It's going to be a nightmare. Just imagine the preaching illustrations. (laughs) But we put her into bed at the end of the day, and we're tired, you know, because each day is more than just keeping her alive and keeping her happy. It's actually training her, too. That's what we're trying to do. And I think my wife, Michelle, is so good at this. Like, I've watched her so many times and been in awe as she gives August a piece of trash and says, August, go put that in the trash can. And August runs off excited to help in our family and puts the trash in the bin. Or she gives August dirty clothes and says, August, go put those in the, uh, the clothes hamper or put them in the washing machine. And August, like, toddles off and goes and does it. And she's so proud of herself. It's really, really special. Or she'll put her on the counter while she's cooking and August hands her the salt or like little ingredients and she'll cooks with her and explains what she's doing and August's kind of learning what's going on. I had this moment yesterday. Uh, we were putting August down for her midday nap, which we would call doodos. I know that means something different here, but she was going down for doodos. And I'm just setting up something around her crib that she needs and she runs in and she goes, Dada, me help. I'm like, oh, here we go. Like, I want to get this girl down. I want to have a nap. That's what I want to do. But in the sweetest way, she was great. Now, I'm top A. I'm an Enneagram one. Time is money. Productivity is key. This is a very inefficient use of my time. But it ended up being one of my highlights of my day, watching my little girl, who was very inefficient at putting up this little tent so that she could sleep, helping me do this job and then going down for a nap. And that's the reality, you know? Again, it's inefficient, it's messy, it takes more time. Often we have to redo the things that she's helping us do because she does it so badly, but it's worth it because she's learning and growing and being a part of our family. August isn't mature yet, but she's ministering in our family. She's learning, she's growing, she's developing. And over time, she's gonna minister really effectively. Down the line, give her a few years, she's gonna be a gift, she's gonna be great at what she does, but now, She's terrible. We don't need her, but she needs us. We don't want her help, but she needs to help. So we include her, and we use her, and we let her grow and develop. Now, I want you to imagine, fast forward 20 years, imagine we hadn't done that in the 22 years of her life. And now August is 22, and it's her birthday, and we say to her, sweetie, We gave you a grace here when you were 21 and you were like a legal adult and all of those things. But now that you're 22, we expect you to do all these things for yourself. So I'm not going to be changing your diaper anymore. You need to go to the bathroom on your own. We're not going to put your clothes on every day. You need to put your clothes on yourself. We're not going to cook for you. You need to cook all of those things. It would be unfair. For 22 years, she's learned that the world is about her that everything revolves around her, that we do everything for her, that she just cries and we come. And now out of nowhere, we're saying, okay, that's over now. You need to do everything. It would be an absolute nightmare. She wouldn't know what to do. It would be really, really hard for her to stop because she hasn't been on that 
process of growth and growing. And it's the same in the church. Paul shows us in verse 11 that Jesus has given us these gifted leaders to equip the church for ministry and service for the gifts that God has given them. And these are the apex gifts, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, or pastor, and teacher. And these stretch or pull the church in different directions. So for example, the apostle pulls us towards the horizon to pioneer, to new ministries and new churches, to new contexts and new people and new places, making sure that the church doesn't settle and become too inward focused. Or the prophet who pulls us towards God, towards prayer and towards worship and towards social justice and what is righteous, you know, pulling us away from the idols of our world and the ways of our world towards God and His ways. Or the evangelist who loves to be with people outside the church who don't know Jesus. And somehow they're able to help people quickly see their sin and their need and begin to follow Jesus and they're psyched about it. These people are like really called and gifted in that way, but all of us are called by God as disciples to do this, to share the faith with those outside the church. These people just have a special gift with it and are able to help us to do that, to train us and to do that better. What about the, pr- uh, the pastor? The pastor pulls us inward towards the church thinking about one another, the health of the church, the maturity of the disciples inside the community, the nurture of the people in the church, the needs of the church so that the church is healthy and strong, or the teacher who pulls us towards the scriptures, the Bible. I'm sure you've been in a service before where someone is preaching a passage that you've heard preached on before, and they read it through and you're like, oh, here we go again, I know this well, you know, and they've got this teaching gift where they make the scriptures come alive in a way that you cannot imagine. You're like purring. You're like, whoa, how did they do that? I've never seen that before. And you go home excited to read the word for yourself. These are these different gifts that God gives to the church to build up the church in love. So these leaders are given to the church by Jesus. Ephesians 4 verse 12 to 13 says, For this purpose, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. I love this. This idea that gifted leaders are given by Jesus to equip the church so that the church does ministry and builds up the church so that she becomes mature, united, knows God, and is more and more like Jesus. It's beautiful. Paul is kind of giving us two pictures of church here. I'm sure many of us have grown up in a more consumeristic church mentality where we've thought, well, we show up on Sundays and what happens is we pay something and then the upfront guys, they minister and they better deliver something good so that we feel well-fed for the week and then we go out and we live our lives. But Paul's painting a different picture here, a, a Christian or biblical mentality where the idea is not just that we show up on a Sunday for the worship experience or the show and get what we want out of it and then go and live our lives. But instead, the picture is that on Sundays, we come together to be equipped and built up so that throughout the rest of the week, we can minister to one another and we can minister to people around us in our lives. It's not just about us. It's about all of us together as we gather. Do you see the difference? My job is to use my gift to equip each of you to use your gifts so that we can build up this community together, which sounds to me like the laziest pastoral cop-out passage of all time. Sorry, guys, my job's just to equip you to minister to one another, you know, then I'm done. But that's not what it says there. I'm not trying to get myself out of work here at all. That's not what it is. It's not that pastors or elders or the APS gifts don't do ministry. It's that they don't do all of the ministry. 
It's a, it's a role that is used to equip all of us so that we are all carrying the load and ministering to one another. And actually, Ephesians 4 teaches us that pastors fail, APS gifts fail, if what happens is they are doing all the ministry themselves. Everyone is dependent on them for everything because then the body is maleequipped. Ministry is not my job. Ministry is our job with Sword Uptown. Now, one of the lies that many people in our culture today believe, people in the church with a church background, Christians or people who call themselves Christians, is this that they can grow and mature and be healthy and follow Jesus on their own. And Ephesians 4 just shows us that, that is not possible. We need one another. But I think what happens is we think, well, honestly, that Grant guy with a South African accent, okay, he did okay. But like, I've got some killer podcasts on my phone. Like driving to work, I can listen to something 30 times better than what that guy was saying on Sunday. Like it's so much better. Or I mean, Ma led so well today but I could listen to the best cutting-edge worship band. They're full-time writing their own songs. They're just incredible. I can get my praise on in the car. Like, I can do that every single day. I don't need the Sunday thing. I can do the spiritual disciplines on my own. I can do a lot of what Jesus commands on my own. But Ephesians 4 shows us that that is not true, that an individualistic faith is not possible, and that we need one another. Verse 15 to 16 in Ephesians 4. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way. Not let me grow, not just grow, but let us together grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. From him the whole body filled and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. That's actually the part of this that struck me the most praying this morning for today. The proper working of each individual part. We'll get to this in a second, but are you working properly? the proper working of each individual part. I love this quote by Eugene Peterson. He says, one of the immediate changes the gospel makes is grammatical. I studied English at university. I'm a nerd with this stuff, but I love this. We instead of I, our instead of my, us instead of me. That's what's going on in Ephesians chapter four. We see here that the mature church, the growing church is this partnership between God and his people, not just me and God doing my thing. It's plural, that's the language here. We can't do this individually, we can't do this on our own, we cannot respond to and obey this message and grow in the way Jesus has called us to outside of church community. Jesus is our head, he leads us. And what I love in this passage is Jesus infuses us with his life by the Spirit, with his salvation, with his power to do all of these things that he's called us to. So today I'm not saying, hey, we've got to do all these things. I'm saying Jesus, our head, empowers us to do the things that he calls us to in Ephesians 4. And he sends us out to go and be. His hands and feet, his arms and legs, his ears and eyes, and to do his work in the earth. And when each individual church, part of the church body, is working properly. It means that we grow and build one another up in love. It's beautiful. On Monday nights, um, we've been leading what we call Intro to GC, and we've got a bunch of people who are newer to the church and are exploring like, mem- or, yeah, deeper involvement in gospel communities in our small groups during the week. And it's been so much fun. We've been working through this book called Life in Community by Dustin Willis. And I think every week, I've just loved it. The vulnerability of people, relationships developing, like just getting a taste for experience of what it means to do what we're talking about in Ephesians chapter four. And as we were preparing for last week, there were these two quotes which just struck me so strongly, but so beautifully about what we're talking about. 
Dustin Willis writes, distance from Christian community is a sure sign of distance from Jesus himself. That's a strong line. That's a challenging line, but I believe that's true. Distance from Christian community is a sure sign of distance from Jesus himself. It's just me and Jesus is far from the truth of the scriptures. Yes, Jesus saves individuals, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10, but then he places them in the church, Ephesians 2, 11 to 22. The notion of an individual Christian would strike the biblical authors as foolishness akin to a toddler without a family. Back to the babies. <laughs> now again, I have a toddler. Some of you might have heard that. Her name is August. She's two and a half years old. And I know there's that show on Netflix now about kids in Japan kind of being sent out to do things on their own, but that's really lowball, you guys. They've got that sign on, and it's really amazing to see that independence they're given. But if August was left on her own outside of a family without anyone to care for her and change her diaper and help her and teach her and train her, there is no way that she would survive, let alone grow up into a healthy adult. She needs Shalana. Toddlers need parents and Christians need family. One more quote from Dustin Willis. Living out our faith was never intended to be done in isolation, but within a community. The gospel is the driving force to our transformation and community is the context where the greatest growth and revolution takes place. The things we're talking about today do happen on Sundays. I'm sure some of you guys have experienced them already. Some of these th things happen like organically in our friendships during the week. Maybe you guys are thinking of moments from the last seven days where you've experienced this from people. But the way as a church we try and practice this and systematize this best is through our gospel communities or GCs. It's a place where with a committed bunch of brothers and sisters, 10 to 15 men and women, every week we get together to practice this kind of community to love and care for one another, to encourage and challenge one another, to grow as disciples together. That's the point of a gospel community. And that's why one of our membership requirements as a church at Restored is for everyone who is able to be part of one of these GCs, because we need it. We need togetherness, we need community, we need growth from one another. So just to let you know, our GCs will be opening in the middle of September again. We'll give you some more information about that soon. I think we've got a really great plan for the next round of what we're going to be going through, the material we've got. I think it's going to encourage you. I think it'll challenge you. I think it'll comfort you. I think it'll help you to grow, to follow Jesus. But if I can encourage you to please prioritize those groups. And if you're new here, and you're like, well, okay, that's a big jump for me. I think Andy shared a few next steps. You can sign one of those uh, uh, connect forms at the door. Come to the next new to restored lunch. But take whatever your next step is and getting involved in this community, not just attending, but being a part, being known, being involved. I think this is so important because the individualistic pull of our culture is so strong that it constantly pulls us away from this. Some of the quotes that I've read today, I reckon have offended some of you a little bit, or maybe been a little bit abrasive, you're like, oh, I don't like that, you know? Because there's truth to it, but it rubs so against just the grain of our culture and what it teaches us about our own freedom and autonomy and ways. And Paul ends this passage very simply, just showing us how we individually do this. He's spoken about the role of Jesus and the role of leaders, but there's four things each of us can do from today to start to build this kind of community in Restored Uptown. Firstly, take your discipleship seriously. If we're speaking about Jesus giving leaders to equip us, I guess the response is be equipped. <laughs> Does that make sense? Receive teaching, receive equipping. 
read it through, pray it through, apply it to your life. Do what you're learning so that you would grow, and not so that just you would grow, but that we would grow as a community. One of the ways that um, we're individually like following Jesus as a church is with CBR. And some of you guys know that. Some of you maybe haven't heard that in a while. Some of you do that diligently every day. But CBR is a way that we read the Bible and pray together as a church, where we're going through the same passage, reflecting on it, processing our lives with the Spirit in prayer. And it's just a way that we're all synced to the same passage on the same day. So if you've never done that before, it's on the Restored app. You can go there and find the CBR, like schedule and start to read through it and know actually other brothers and sisters in this church are doing the same thing on the same day. Otherwise, you can find some of the journals outside. You're welcome to grab one of those and go through it. But that's a way that individually we're taking seriously actually the teaching and the scriptures and what the Spirit is doing in this community and that we are growing together and to make sure that we've got something to give to each other. Secondly, speak the truth in love. Some of you get pumped on this. You're like, I love this. I love saying hard things to people and I'm good at it. <laughs> Maybe just check, like you never know. Are you saying hard things in love or are you just good at saying hard things? You might just be a bit of a jerk, you know? Some people in this church are really loving. You're great at the love part. You're not great at the hard things part. I actually heard a story this week of a leader in a church having to apologize to someone because they'd seen something in their life for years and never commented and it had come to the surface. They'd say, I'm sorry, I saw it. I was too scared to say anything. Would you forgive me? Actually, we want to speak the truth in love, share the gospel, share the teachings of Jesus with one another so that we can grow in following him and help each other to do that. Thirdly, be in working order. I know I've highlighted this already. I think maybe the Spirit wants to say this to some of us in the room. There's this really cliche, cheesy thing some of you might have heard before, that the church is a hospital for sinners, not a country club for saints. I know it's cheesy. I, I don't like it, but it's true. There's this reality that all of us have got stuff. None of us are perfect. We're all on a journey. All of that is so, so true. But actually, there's got to be a desire to be in working order, to be um, growing and following Jesus and repenting of sin and growing in community and playing the role that God has called us to play. And this is so frustrating when it doesn't happen. I'm new to this country and there've been some like hiccups along the way of like adjusting to life here. This week, Venmo stopped working, my debit card stopped working, my church debit card wasn't working. It's like a real nightmare just trying to pay for different things. So Shell goes to Target, she's got like a bunch of groceries she's buying, she gets to the checkout. No, nah, card's not working. I tried to pay for parking, just park the car. You know what parking's like here. It's an absolute nightmare. You find one, this is gold. I gotta pay for it, can't pay for it. Had a few situations like that where just the card wouldn't work, Apple Pay wouldn't work, it's frustrating. And it's the same in the church. When we are not in working order, you know what happens? We're all weakened because of it. But when we're in working order, we strengthen one another. Not that we're perfect, we're all on a journey, but we're doing what we can from our side to play a role in this church. And lastly, building one another up in love. I think this church is so good at this. Actually, you know, we're all in a process, like a building being built up brick upon brick upon brick. We're building one another up in love over time to become more and more like Jesus. That's the role we're called to play. So would you do that? Maybe even now you can think, Holy Spirit, is there someone you'd have me encourage this week? But as I end this message, I think there's probably four types of responses in the room. The one is amen. You're like, I'm all in for this. Like, this sounds great, Grant. I could say anything today, and you're just one of those people. You're like, woo, this sounds great. Let's do it. Some of you, this is probably a little bit harder, 
and you're like, okay, I get it. I see it. Ephesians 4, you've explained it. I know what I need to do. It's going to be a bit costly, but I'm in. I'm down to try. Some of you are pushing back because you've been hurt before. You've experienced the opposite of this before in the church, and you are just feel vulnerable and nervous of taking the step to try this, to try be in community, to try open up and be vulnerable, to try and share with others. And lastly, maybe some of you just, no matter what I said today, you would disagree with me, you know? So you're like, ah, I'm not going to do that, Grant. Thanks anyway. I understand. I want to share one thing um, from one of Peter Scazzaro's books on emotional health, just a short illustration. He says, in order to grow, lobsters have to rid themselves of their old, hard, protective shell and grow a new, larger one. This process of shedding an old shell is called molting. They do this about 25 times in their first five years of life and then once a year after they become adults. It's an ugly, messy process. Under the pressure, the old, hard, protective shell cracks. Then the lobster lies on its side, flexes its muscles, and pulls itself from the cracked shell. For a short time between the leaving of the old shell and the hardening of the new one, the lobster is naked, feeling vulnerable to the elements. And I want to leave you with that. The reality is what Ephesians 4 is calling us to requires a response, a decision, okay, I'm in for this. It's going to require work for me. I'm going to have to flex my muscles, get out of that old shell. There's vulnerability. You're going to be naked. You're going to be exposed. There's a risk that something could go wrong. But are you willing to put yourself through that for the sake of growth, for the sake of the new shell, for the sake of the next year, for the sake of the next season, to grow to be all that Jesus is calling you to be, to grow together into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ? Can I pray for us? Got one or two hiccups in the room, but that's okay. Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for this beautiful picture of the church at its best. We know we're not there, Lord. I know I'm not there. I know we're all in a process and we're all growing. But right now, I ask you, Holy Spirit, for your help. I pray that we would each know where we are at, We'd each know what we need to do. We'd each know how we need to respond. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, for your help to do that. I pray for those who feel scared of community and scared of being a part of this church and scared of those steps. I pray that you would bring your peace and wisdom. I pray you protect those people and help them, Lord. I pray for those who are just holding back that actually, Lord, you'd give them a, a new excitement about engaging. I pray for those who may be in the 22-year-old baby phase, Lord. I pray for help to grow up, to do the thing that you've called them to do. I pray for just deep encouragement for those who are serving in this way in a great way. Help us as a church to grow into the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.